So, good evening. Nice to see you. Not sure if this is a disclaimer or just um, to orient your mind, but there's different styles of, of um, giving talks and the way that I uh, sometimes approach these is to discover along with you what the talk is going to be about. So uh, maybe if you have that orientation in mind, then uh, we'll see where this goes. So day two, day two, right? How does it feel? Does it feel like day five? Day one? (laughs) So sometimes day two can feel like a hard day um, for those of you that are new to retreat. Sometimes day three can feel like a hard day. Uh, Day four. (laughs) But actually in in these first days, the mind and heart are kind of adjusting to a new rhythm, right? We're not saturated and overstimulated by experience. We're here, we're here. And in a way there's just the ordinariness of being here, right? This, the structure of this, of this retreat and retreats in general, they don't overstimulate the mind. There's just this ordinariness, sit and walk. I always find it amazing at how inventive our mind is at still finding ways of suffering. Did you find you could suffer today? Just a bit. I mean, I was even noticing that so beautiful outside right now. Clouds are up there, sunlight, sun is setting. And then the black flies come, right? The sunset disappears from perception, don't see the clouds anymore, and there's just the black flies. And that's happening all the time, in a way, right? Things come into our experience, and they contact us through either our sights or sounds, through the heart, right? We experience things, and then we react. And in a way, all we then see are the black flies of the moment. That's all that's there. That's all that exists. And that's the nature of what defilements do. We call them defilements. They're they're these habit patterns of the mind and they narrow our attention. We no longer have an expanded perspective about life. There's just this and I have to get rid of it. I have to get rid of it to be happy. And quite literally with something like black flies, it feels as if there's something that we can get rid of and swat away. If these were just to go, then this moment would be perfect again. And I guarantee you, perfect moments are not gonna happen just because the black flies go. We can have the black flies leave and it feels like this is a perfect moment. And I don't know if you've ever timed how long you've had a perfect moment before. (laughs) I've never had one really last for I don't know, I should have taken my timer out, but how long does it last? (laughs) Something happens, right? Something changes. It might even just be that sense, the poignancy of this is 
impermanent. This great feeling is impermanent. This, you know, whatever it is, this moment, this sense of joy and ease, we can kind of feel that that's that nature of clinging, grasping after something. There's nothing wrong about the appreciation of something that's beautiful, but when it turns into a dependence, I depend on that for my well-being. Right? That's where that sense of vulnerability or that sense of you know, things aren't safe or secure when we're in that kind of dependence. And so it's just interesting to see what is it that we depend on. And what do we depend on for our sense of well-being? I was thinking how, for some of you, this uh, style of retreat that is less scheduled, and if you've done retreats before, it might be challenging your mind, you know, not having the structure. And yet in the world, like in our busy life, we can say, for many of us, the suffering comes from having so much to do, so many responsibilities. And then I was sort of getting fascinated by, then we come on retreat and we can actually suffer from the lack of schedule. I'm not doing enough. And a few people use this word, you know, am I being lazy? Who thought they were being lazy today? I hope you tried to be lazy a little bit. Because honestly, we don't try enough to be lazy. And by that I mean we don't really explore the territory or the terrain of what is it like to really relax into the moment. As I was talking to one of the groups today about if there's kind of a continuum of putting in effort and relaxing, for many of us, we're on the, the side of extraordinary amount of striving or just doing, doing ourselves, doing our personality, right? presenting ourselves, trying to be a good person, a good partner, to be seen well. All of that is basically the energy of trying. And then we say, relax. And basically we go from this extreme Right? And here's the other extreme. We go, okay, let me relax. And we kind of move a millimeter over. And we, is that, a, is that too much? Am I being lazy now? Uh, maybe you might have just tried just a little bit more. And it's like, okay. You know, we kind of inch our way towards what it might feel like to begin to sense that balance. Where is it? I mean, what kind of energy can we use in our practice that keeps us interested? Right, engaged in what's happening, but also not feeding the tendencies right, that are kind of what the Buddha was pointing to as being the, the, the source of our agitation, the source of our suffering. You know, a lot of our just basic ways that we've been conditioned, you know, as a personality, you know, in our own identity, so many of those conditionings, in a way, are are an effort to feel a sense of security, a sense of safety. 
right? So that there's nothing wrong with the way that we do that, you know, and there's just so many ways in which we are vulnerable. And so we guard ourselves a little bit. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to experience that. So we get guarded and we guard ourselves on another way. You know, I don't want to feel this. We guard here. And it's like we're slowly armoring ourselves in order to avoid experiencing things that are difficult and unpleasant. And through that process of layering, right, we layer up, we become armored. It's difficult then to actually experience right, the, the tenderness of life, the vulnerability, just being, being here as a being, feeling the rawness of, of a moment. And that's what awareness in a way is inviting us into, is to really begin to open, right, open to what's here. What have I shied away from? And what do I try to avoid so I can feel a sense of safety? Or how do I prop myself up? Right, or hide behind my views and opinions? There's so much that we just do out of habits The wonderful thing about mindfulness and awareness, we don't have to go looking too much. It's not that we have to take out a shovel and go digging, you know, into experience. Things start to present just by listening. Things will present themselves. I like the analogy of, you know, coming into a room when the lights are off. You know, and you walk into a room, it's dark in there, you don't see anything. And what does it take to begin to see, like where the furniture is in the bed? I mean, we can turn the light switch on, but if this was pre-light switches, let's say, just sit, just stay in there. The eyes adjust. So day one, we arrive and the mind is full of stories, right? full of energies, mental energies, bodily energies. Day two, still that kind of momentum is there. But we also start to become more sensitive, right? Things start to present a little bit more loudly. And oftentimes we can feel as if we're not getting anywhere because now we're seeing how much the mind is thinking. And we can see how much the mind is judging. Everything. I did not take a week off of my life, which is hard enough to do, to come and watch my mind judge, right? If we wrote our description that says, come spend a week at IMS, the first few days you'll see endless judging, endless comparing, right? Endless wanting and aversion. Who would, who would come, right? We, this would not be a great selling point. But instead we say things like come experience natural wisdom and awareness <laughs> and develop these qualities that are yours freely for the taking, right? They're just yours to develop. Then of course we all come and show up because that's what we want, right? That's what we all want. We all want to feel the goodness of our mind and heart and we want to be free of whatever it is that we've been suffering from, right? The, the kind of chains that bind us 
So in the overarching teaching that the Buddha gave, for those of you that are really new to uh, Dhamma practice, he gave these teachings around, he called them the Four Noble Truths. And it's very poignant to just recognize the first truth is that there is suffering. Just matter of fact, there is suffering. Right? And the orientation in that truth is that it's to be understood. Oh, right. Suffering is like this. Having a mind and body that's subject to conditions that is not entirely in our control, it is bound to meet with unpleasant. It is bound to meet with things that are difficult. It is bound to meet with losing the loved ones, being separated and parted from those that are dear to us. Our own body gets older, aging. And no one chooses to age. And maybe when we're eight or nine year old, you know, at nine years old, we want to become 10 or 11. I was joking with a little girl, uh, neighbor the other day. She was, I just turned seven. And she was so excited. And I said, what's going to happen next year? And what if you turn back to six? I said, no, <laughs> I'm going to be eight. I said, How do you know? How do you know you'll be eight? You know, with that desire, she was wanting to be older. But then you hit a certain point and you no longer want to be older. <laughs> I love the kind of authenticity or the truth of the Dhamma, just being able to speak what's true. I often reveal little, little things that my mind does because it's inter- entertaining to me and on the first evening. Uh, yeah, I check the mirror, make sure I'm still there. And uh, it's like, yeah, I'm still here. I joke with my partner sometimes when either one of us is looking in the mirror, it's just say, are you still there? You know, because like, why are we looking in the mirror? Anyways, and, and I saw, I don't know if it was on my ear or just above, but one gray hair was coming out, sticking out kind of far on one side and a dark hair was sticking out on the other side. And I, I could see the desire to cut the gray hair <laughs> and leave the darker hair. <laughs> This is that effort, right, to kind of um, stall the reality, right, of aging. Buddha described aging, actually, aging, sickness, and death. Those are also parts of what it is that we resist. We resist these processes. And he talked about the second noble truth, that there being a cause. Luckily, he didn't stop at the first noble truth, there is suffering. He actually said there's a cause, which is wonderful, because then we can explore what is the cause. And again, it's like this is so radical, but basically saying what we think of as the cause of our suffering is often not the cause. It very rarely is the cause. Because we tend to point at experience, that is the cause of my suffering. Right? This situation, these conditions, the black flies, the sparse dinner, rice crackers. <laughs> These are the cause of my suffering. Right? And if I had only had a really scrumptious meal. <laughs> I 
But it, there's so many, so many ways, right? There's so many ways that we can kind of be in conflict with the moment. And yet that's not ultimately the cause of our suffering. And this, this really points out why the continuity of awareness is so valuable. Because if we just have one moment of awareness, we simply know we're frustrated. We know we're hurting. And then we stop being aware. We could be in a storm, right? That's really difficult to mood, very painful. And that feels like the source of our suffering. And then it doesn't feel like awareness does anything because all it's doing is revealing how difficult this moment is. But if we stay with it, right? Lightly knowing what's happening, we begin to see the arc of these patterns, right? A storm arises, stays for a while and passes. Right? We watch again and again with different attitudes in the mind, we might actually begin to get interested in the nature of a storm. So we go from trying to get out of it to say, what is this? That's a radical change. What is this? Is this okay to feel? Right? When things like that, that were really big edges for me began to change, I say, is this okay to feel? Before I would want out, right? I just wanted to be out of a certain state of mind and heart that was difficult. Right? But in hearing the Dhamma, hearing the teachings over time, I realized this is to be understood. This is to be felt and begin to realize that actually this can be felt. As Carol was mentioning last night about Ajahn Sumedho, he would say things like, I can't bear this. He was his mind, he'd hear his own mind saying, I can't bear this. This is unbearable. And then he realized he had been saying it for the past few hours and realizing actually I am bearing it. And I'm aware this is going on. He started growing confidence in the ability to actually be aware of something that felt unbearable. So as we have a a different attitude and relationship to experience, this is where that sense of the attitude becomes clear. That how we're relating to experience is the source of what the Buddha pointed to is why we suffer. It's our basic relationship. And when we meet experience through trying to keep things away, it's like pushing against the closed door, just trying to keep things out. We can do that a little bit, but basically we're in contention and that's hard work. And we feel the suffering of that. Just like clinging and holding on to something that's bound to change. It's not in accordance with the way things are. And that's why it leads to suffering. So as our awareness steadies, we begin to see these attitudes and we'll talk more and more about what is our relationship to experience. How are we relating to this moment? And again, that takes a lot of courage. Patterns that I felt that I was accepting as I really explored what is my relationship to this, I could see I was still, it was like a deal. I was making a deal. I'll watch you if you change. 
I'll watch you if you go away. Right? Just kind of making a little bargain. But I didn't say it too loudly because then I thought, well, that's not going to work. So it has to be kind of under the covers, like making some deal beneath the surface. I'll just watch this moment. But that's what we do. It's like, I'll make this deal. What is it like to really ch- to check into the heart and see, can I actually let this in to be felt? Can I let this in? If it's difficult. And not all experiences are difficult. There's going to be plenty of joyful, wonderful experiences that we also develop in the path. But around things that are difficult, the tendency is aversion. That's the conditioning. We don't want to experience it. So a particular pattern of mine was to experience a lot of shame and a lot of shame and anxiety around this, right, around speaking to groups. So what did I do? It's like my whole life I spent, and this is all through, you know, schooling was in school and any, any activities was if I just navigated my life around the difficult, I wouldn't have to experience the things I don't want to experience, right? But the problem is, and then the life just takes a groove. We just try to navigate around everything that's challenging and the life becomes more and more confined. Beginning to recognize that we, we have this capacity to receive, right? To allow the edge. So for me it was, what is it like to allow this difficult emotion? Is it okay to experience this? Is it okay to feel the trembling, the anxiety, the nervousness? And that's how some of these patterns began to get integrated. It was to really see them as nature, as a process, something that I could feel. There is suffering. There is a cause. The cause is our relationship. The one that was mostly named was this uh, craving, craving for things to be different, right? Or craving to hold on to that basic energy. Things aren't okay right now, so the mind is always toppling forward. We're never at peace. And then the third noble truth is pointing to the possibility of the ending of suffering. Suffering can come to an end. And the fourth noble truth is describing the path. And that's what we're doing. We're walking the path, cultivating these qualities of mind and heart that are onward leading. When we develop them, they bring a sense of well-being, a sense of ease.
Stillness is just such a wonderful way to spend our time. It is to really cultivate this, uh, cultivate this path, cultivate these qualities that allow us to be here, right, to be present. And we never really know what's coming next. We have a lot of expectations, a lot of assumptions. And just by allowing awareness to settle moment by moment, you can really start to feel into what's here. <coughs> and you can start to feel kind of the ongoing changes of the mind and body. Start to get sensitive. You know, it's almost like a allowing our mind, allowing our heart to get sensitized again, because we think we're so, moving so fast, it's difficult to actually be here, be here in a way that allows us to, to learn about experience. I like that word, learn. Uh, I often use it in my own mind as kind of the the point of what it is that we're doing. You know, awareness allows us to see what's happening. But in itself, to me, it's not, it's not liberating. And we're going to be aware of many patterns of mind and heart, many ways that you know, we get agitated and restless, we feel doubt and anxiety. So being aware allows us to notice them. Right? It reveals what's here. It's not creating it, doesn't need it to change or go away, but it reveals, it's, it's like a perfect mirror. And whatever comes in front of it, awareness can reveal. And through the steadiness of watching, we can understand the nature of it. And we have to be with ourselves enough moments, right? We have to be with ourselves moment by moment to learn about the nature of our mind and heart, learn about these patterns. How is it that we get caught into some you know, state of mind? Right? How we believe in a mood and it becomes so real and then hours later, it's gone. We can't find it anymore. I want to be present enough that we can actually watch these tendencies, watch these conditions that are unfolding, how one thought right, can trigger an emotion and how that emotion then makes the body feel. This cause and effect process is happening all the time. Right? Something happening. We see something. We hear something and there's a reaction. We assume we're just experiencing reality, right? The phrase, as Carol mentioned, as it is, or as the way things have become, yata bhuta. So we have, this, we have this feeling, well, this is the nature of it. And we don't realize how much our mind is, is just overlaying it with our own preferences, our own stories, our own judgments.
one of the first moments that I had a really strong insight into that. As I was, I remember somewhat early in my time when I was a monk in Burma and it's kind of one of those classic Dharma stories in my mind that uh, reveals, wow, this is what our mind is doing all the time. And it was a really hot day out and they were building a building outside uh, the meditation hall and which is so classic, um, seems like classic Southeast Asia, Burma, Thailand. It's like something's always gotta be happening and it's always gotta be happening right next to you. So wherever you're sitting, whatever, wherever you are, something's going on right there. So we don't, you don't get this kind of precious uh, condition here, which is a setup because then our, our preferences really come out because everything's supposed to be you know, really perfect. Once you're in Burma, you realize, oh, that's hopeless. So then you just start meeting the situation as it comes. It kind of is a good training for that. But on this day, it was, it was super hot out and they were building this building outside. And I was sitting there being a good monk, you know, I'm, I'm doing my job. And I was kind of in touch with the, really the boundless generosity that was allowing for me to practice, right? There's no fee in the monasteries, meditation centers in Burma, Thailand, other, other Buddhist countries, typically there's no fee at all, no cost, no overhead, the way we have a lot of overhead here to try to keep up. So I, was, I had this, this feeling of like, well, I've got to really make good use of my time. I'm able to stay here and just practice. And I'm supported with robes and shelter and a meditation hall and a teacher and food. So I was, I was doing my practice, you know, being mindful. And then behind me, I heard the sound of someone snoring. And of course, my mind immediately thought, how could they possibly be in the hall snoring when there are these workers outside working in the heat, right? Really working hard, getting paid hardly anything. And here we are so privileged to be in here practicing, purifying our mind, right? It sounded, it seems so lofty, like, wow, we're purifying our minds and people are sleeping in the hall. So my mind had all this aversion, just resistance, judging, judging. And then the sound shifted. It went from this snoring sound. It was like, oh wait, that's not snoring. That's someone sawing. That's a handsaw. Outside, it's one of the workers, which did what to my mind, right? It changed it to irritation, to compassion. I was like, wow, it's so hot out. I wasn't bothered by the sound. I thought, and what all it was doing was actually triggering the sense of compassion. But then I wasn't sure. And my mind flipped again. And I thought, no, actually, I think it's the person behind me snoring. <laughs> and, my, and so and I saw that and I thought, well, this is really interesting. I don't want to look back and see. Is it someone snoring? Should I be angry? Or should I be filled with compassion? Because it's someone outside sawing. Same sound. It's amazing. Same sound. And as Carol was saying, you know, last night, Ajahn Chah, this phrase that the sound doesn't come out, come 
to disturb us, we go and disturb the sound. Experiences are simply happening. Right? They're happening. How our mind experiences it depends a lot on our judgments. If we judge something is good, we like it. When we judge something is bad, right? We don't like it. We've got to get rid of it. So to watch our own mind, watch the mind flipping back and forth from the same experience, the same object, the same contact, not liking, it's bad, right? Aversion and filled with a kind of irritation and then, then changing towards something that was eliciting a lot of care, a lot of compassion. This is what we're doing all day long. We have so many ideas and opinions about how this moment should be, how other people should be, how I should be, right? All of those views, right, are views that are based, we say in, in they're unwise views, wrong views, because what is arising is arising because the conditions are there. It's lawfully arising. That's already done. That's already happened. So whatever arises in the moment, moment after moment, that's what we're aware of. How we respond, that's up to us. Right? And it doesn't mean we're not engaging in the world and that's predetermined. It simply means that what experiences are arising due to past conditions, those conditions have been fulfilled and there's this moment. How do we respond? How do we respond? When we see it right as being part of nature, meaning this is a natural rising. It's natural that, let's say, for my mind, it's natural. If I've practiced thinking a lot of shameful or inner critic thoughts, the inner, inner critic, it's natural. The inclination is there. That habit has been done so many times that is likely to arise. So whatever it is internally that we've practiced over and over again, it, it shows up. We get to know it. And we could say in a way that's part of the purification. By listening right, and tuning into what's here, not judging it, right, but really changing the view, right, this is what's here. This too, I can be aware of, right? This too, I can feel. So whatever it is, we learn to meet it, right? That's, that's really using our wisdom, reminding ourselves, this is here, right? This is here. And it's natural that we're going to meet a lot of experiences with, with preferences, of course, and judgments. That too, we see as just habits of mind part of the nature of this mind, right? And that's how it gets purified, is we see it. We see it, we learn about it. And as saying in one of the groups, we don't even need to do that much. Just by feeling that something burns, with awareness, the mind will let it go over time. You know that that way leads to suffering. And those qualities that are really wholesome, When we're aware of them, they grow stronger. 
right? To have a chance to flourish because we see that actually is a wholesome quality of mind. And it brings a sense of well-being, a sense of ease, a sense of clarity, right? So in a way, mindfulness is such a remarkable quality because it reveals things as they are. And we see it, we can see the whole process unfolding. We learn about, we learn what is the nature of this suffering? What's the cause? What's to be let go of? And that happens, it happens naturally. And one of the real benefits of coming together, you know, and discussing the dhammas, because we normally are so much kind of caught into our own experience, it's difficult to see the lawfulness of the mind and heart. It's hard to see it. You know, when I was experiencing that today, when we were coming together as, as a group and people were talking just pretty honestly, you know, what was happening for them. In a way, it's like I had this image right now, if like we just all had these little, those bubbles that kind of are above, you know, in the cartoons, you could just see what thoughts and stories or whatever state of mind we're all in. It would be so revealing if we could just have those bubbles. It'd be a little too transparent, so I wouldn't really want to do that because you don't need to know my thoughts. I don't need to know your thoughts because they're just thoughts. But in a way it would be normalizing, right? We have so many uh, patterns of this heart and mind and they're all just processes that are unfolding and we can get to know them. And the more that we relate to it as, as part of a normalized unfolding, right? Rather than trying to get out of it, we can turn towards it being interested in the process, being interested. This is what's already here. Now we're starting to have that that ability to listen, to feel, to recognize. feels like a reasonable place to pause. So maybe just experiment without shifting your posture. I like to offer this sometimes. You know, often I, like at the end of a, of a talk, we'll say, okay, we're gonna sit together. And the whole room kind of changes really quickly, right? But just see if you can kind of move into being aware for a little while and we'll just close out with a couple minutes of continuing to practice.
Thank you for your attention and for your practice today. And we have about uh, 45 minutes or so for continuing to practice in whatever posture is uh, suitable to you. We'll see you. And again, the, the sitting tonight will be a shorter sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.